Let's pray. God, as we enter into your throne room, help us to listen. Lord, in the midst of all that's going on in our world, all the different ways that, all the different voices that are, seem to be screaming, Lord, help us to be attentive to that still small voice that's you. God, of course, as we go about the message today, we ask that your name is glorified. We ask that it's you that is, that is seen, you that is heard, you that is appreciated, respected. God, force me to become less so that you can become more. Lord, we truly ask that you get the glory. God, help us to listen. I say that again. Help us to listen to what it is that you have to say to our hearts. We pray for those that are not able to make it today in person. <clears throat> we trust that you will give them a means to listen, to worship you. Remind them that the church is not a building. God, and we, we pray that your spirit has truly gone before us. We, we know and we trust that it has the, your, your Holy Spirit has the ability to convict, to encourage, to love, but God, also to save. God, speak to a soul this morning. Speak to a soul. You know the needs that are here, those that are under the sound of my voice. You know the hearts, even better than we know our own hearts. And Lord, we trust that you will speak to it. God, force our minds out of the way. God, how often do we overthink things? How often do we get in our own way? of you. But God, you have the power to break through that. You are a powerful God. You are a just God. And you are a good God, as we have seen that in our lives. God, speak to a soul this morning. We love you. We say thank you. And of course, it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Katie. Well, good morning, Hope. Glad to be here. Glad you are with us. Glad we are in the house of the Lord together. What a blessing in and of itself that is. As I was preparing this, this message for us this morning, I, I, the phrase kept going through my mind, interesting times. How often do we hear that? How often have we said that? We're living in a very interesting time. Those are the key words that you so often hear when you turn on the news. 
when you listen to your favorite podcast, social media, interesting times. This comes from all sorts of different ways of thinking, from the radical left to the right. Interesting times are at hand, or as the street preacher puts it, the end is near. It's undeniable. We're now seeing two different full-on wars take place with no real end in sight from Russia and Ukraine to Hamas and Israel, all while Americans are being told to go give their money to Ukraine, I mean, pay their taxes, and we have an emergency at our southern border. And you know that this is a major concern when you start to see headlines of the elite in our world beginning to go and build doomsday bunkers in the most remote areas of the world. Interesting times. These are all very serious issues that we're dealing with that have very serious consequences. It has the older generations that have seen war begin to question, how long can this go on for? And it has the younger generation, who really is completely foreign to war, begin asking whether or not they're going to be drafted. Not only this, but money is being printed like it's just another piece of paper, and the cost to live is becoming unattainable. You notice this week after week, month after month, and now year after year, and you look at yourself or, or maybe your spouse and you ask, what in the world is going on? And even more than that, what in the world do we do? Now, as we're going to see here in chapter 4, Peter is encouraging the believers that are undergoing persecution to, listen, arm themselves. Arm themselves. You're saying, Ryan, are you encouraging us to, to take up guns and defend our homes? I'm, I'm not going to discuss the whole idea of guns this morning. <laughs> I don't believe it's good to give my opinion from the pulpit right now, maybe someday down the road. But I, but I was out shooting with one of my neighbors not too long ago. <laughs> and it reminded me of, of just how important being armed will be for the sake of Jesus. We see people of God arming themselves not to kill, but to protect. And this is so important in the Christian life as we, as we look and we see this persecution down the road. But we must ask ourselves in the midst of this, what does being armed look like? What does being armed mean? Well, I want to say being armed starts with being aware. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you've got the Bibles in front of you, that's going to be the same Bible that I'm going to be teaching out of. It's the ESV, 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be going through verses 1 through 6. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 <clears throat> Through six, excuse me. Let's start by reading verses one and two. 
Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, there it is, with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Point number one for this morning, arm yourself with the will of God. Arm yourself with the will of God. In order to understand Peter's words here, we must keep in mind the context He starts off with, since therefore, of which he's referring back to the previous passage about Christ's suffering and and taking on the cross, but, but then claiming the victory over death because of it. This suffering, Peter writes, leads to victory. It's It's this suffering that leads Christ to the cross. Without this suffering, Christ would not have been able to prove his deity and the ultimate authority he has over death. But because he endured this cruel and evil suffering, he was able to show that he truly is the king of kings. In other words, first the cross, then the crown. First the cross, then the crown. Peter is reminding the believers under persecution that even with the suffering that they are experiencing and the unjust persecution, they have the ultimate victory. Paul's words to the church in Ephesus help to answer the why behind our unjust, what we might consider to be unjust suffering. He says it like this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, we suffer unjustly at the hands of humans because it's not our flesh that people are after, but it's our souls that Satan is after. Those that can kill are not to be feared, but rather the one who can snatch your soul and take it to the pits of hell. Peter is saying, don't worry about what is coming to you in terms of persecution. Be concerned about the well-being of your soul. He then gives some very powerful words as to what this looks like and, and how this is to be done. He says it like this, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It almost comes off as if, since you, since he's, he's, it's almost like he's saying, since you have suffered, that you should be absolutely perfect now. Don't misunderstand, that, that's not true. Peter is writing that you no longer live in sin You are no longer the prisoners of it. He continues on. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So listen, verse 2. So so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, there it is. Arm yourself 
with the will of God. Now, what is the will of God, you ask, and how do you find it? Well, I don't know exactly what your purpose is and your will, and there's doctrine behind the separation of those two alone, but I could tell you that to find your will starts with obedience and submission to his word. He's saying you, you no longer are living for yourself, but for the king of kings. You're, you're no longer controlled by the flesh and the passions of it, but by obedience to Christ and his word. Now you're saying these words from Peter regarding human passions, you're hearing this and you're, and you're, and you're starting to wonder what the difference is here between the human passion and, and the will of God. So many look around for, for ways to, to justify sin. Some even go so far as to twist the context of Scripture so that they can tell themselves that the sin that they're committing is not actually sin, but it's in God's Word. We've seen it. What an absolute insult to Scripture this is, and really to God himself. It's one thing to genuinely not understand what God is saying through his word, but, but it's, another that, that it's another to blatantly hear these words from God, do your, you do your research, have your counsel, and then reject it and continue to live according to what you desire, and then use God's word to justify it. I've heard it so many times when people are confronted with sinful lifestyle. Well, I, I think that I think that the Bible is trying to tell me this. I think that, well, I believe this. Brother or sister, I, I don't care what you think. I care what the Bible teaches. Life isn't some giant social media trend where you can tell God what you think and then act according to what your heart desires. It's unfortunate that you could find an organization that will affirm whatever you want in the name of Jesus and then, and then make you feel all warm and fuzzy when you walk out. You see it today. Trans men, women speaking from pulpits and even speaking from the Bible using the name of Jesus. Jesus being looked at as a good person or a way to salvation rather than the way. I even witnessed a woman preaching from the Bible, and she got to a part of, of one of Paul's letters, and, and she said, no, I'm, I'm not going to read that because that's too insulting. It's out there, and it's not far from home. I believe that this is really actually a great summary of the world that we are in today, where we just skip over the, the hard parts because we don't want to be offended. You see, the difference between hurt from the word and, and hurt from the world is that the hurt from the word makes you holy. All of this because Jesus is looked at not as the way to heaven, but a way. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through You see, when you diminish Jesus down to a good person or a teacher, you diminish the cross to nothing more than a historical object. And when you do this, you throw away the single most important 
aspect of our faith altogether. You throw away the cross, you throw away our faith. You see, submitting yourself to this is is not a half-in, half-out choice, but rather a full-on commitment. It's an all-or-nothing decision. You have to take up your cross. You don't just pick what you like and, and live according to it. On this side of eternity, you have one of two choices. Align your life and will to God and his will or reject it altogether. It's so simple. And, and once you accept it, study to show yourself approved unto God because once you start studying it and applying it to your life, the, the Holy Spirit will convict you of, of what God wants to remove from your life. And, and though it hurts, it's freeing. And when you start to get set, set free by the truth, you then begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And that's when your will becomes revealed, your purpose. But you see, too often people try to find their will or God's calling on their life, but aren't willing to submit to the inerrancy and, and perfection of God's Word. The issue is that God's Word is not a road map. It's God himself. And the more that you spend time studying in the, in, the more that you spend time studying it, the more that you will find that you love it. And the more that you love God's word, the more that you will find that you love God. And the more that you love God, the clearer that his call on your life becomes. Maybe instead of trying to find our will from God, we need to start focusing on deepening our relationship with him first. So many want to know their will, but so few want to know his heart. But once you start living in obedience to Christ, you'll notice that your will isn't as important as the cross. The Holy Spirit convicts, and if you aren't being convicted for your sin, I'm going to say this. This this is heavy. This statement is heavy. Say it again. The Holy Spirit convicts. And if you aren't being convicted for your sin, the Holy Spirit may not be active in your life. Jesus said regarding the Holy Spirit prior to his ascension to heaven, and when he comes, referring to this Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is a promise, not only that he would come, but that he would convict the world of their sin. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the moral compass for the world, and it's by this spirit that we are to know the difference between human passions or or what the flesh desires and what God desires. Arm yourself with the will of God. Arm yourself with the will of God. Verses 3 through 5. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him 
who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The second point for this morning, arm yourself. Arm yourself with the freedom of God. Arm yourself with the freedom of God. Peter is, is calling out the past life of the believers that are undergoing persecution. He's calling out the way that they used to live. He's not calling it out to hang it over their head, though, but to remind them of the work that Christ has done in their life. They once partied. They once practiced idolatry. They once had literal sex parties, but now they don't. You're a changed people, Peter is saying. Act like it. God truly does an incredible work in your life if you let him. I tell you that from experience. But for most, this, this sort of life change, it doesn't happen overnight. It's called sanctification. It, it takes a lifetime. But you're saying, Ryan... <clears throat> And I know people that, that have experienced this. Ryan, when I, when I gave my life to the Lord, he completely freed me from my addiction to alcohol. Or it was almost like an overnight revelation that he took away my porn addiction. Or he took away my desire to continue on sinning like the snap of a finger. And, and he, did, he does that. And, and that is absolutely incredible. I love hearing stories of the way that God frees people from sin immediately upon their submission to him. He does it. I believe it. But for most people, it doesn't work like that. It takes a lot of time. For, for me, for me when, I, when I came to the Lord, the way that I celebrated, I called my friend. We went to the bar and we got beer. I'd be listening to Christian music while, while I was smoking weed. I mean, I'm not, this is not a dramatic thing. I, I could tell you from experience. I could give you my friend's number and he'd tell you. I remember that. Was I judged by other people for this? Definitely. But I didn't care. And as the months and years went on, I, I one day looked back and said, wow, I haven't smoked weed. I haven't, I haven't done cocaine in, in three years. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm applying for seminary to go learn how to study the Bible and lead churches. I'll, I'll never forget feeling... <clears throat> I'll never forget filling out the application to getting into seminary. And, the, you know, the question pops up, have you used tobacco products in the last year? And I'm sitting there doing the math in my head. I'm like, like let's see. And so when you got to do the math, you know that, you know, I'm like, it's been, it's been over a year. I could say, yes, I haven't smoked a cigarette in over a year. It's just so interesting. The point is this. Living in obedience to Christ's calling takes place one day at a time. One decision at a time. And man, let me assure you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail again and again and again and again. But you know what the beautiful part of being a Christian is? John 1.16 says this, For from Christ's fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. And as you fail again and again and again, the grace of God will be there again and again and again and again and again. Are you getting annoyed yet? And again and again. You see, God gives grace 
upon grace, upon grace. Come on, church, upon grace. Say it with me, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. The Christian life is one of continuous shortcoming, but consistent, dependable, faithful, and infinite grace that will never leave you where you are if you truly desire his heart. God gives grace upon grace. Now, I want to be clear here. There is a huge discrepancy between living in sin and struggling with it. So many continue to live in sin despite their changed life. If you're living in sin with little regard for the impact that it's making on your life and your eternity, or worse, if you don't care at all, then my friend, you might need to reevaluate your relationship with the Lord. This discrepancy is huge. It's so often that many live a lifestyle of sin but refuse to change because only God can judge me. Yeah, well, that's true. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says... What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or 1 John 3, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Those are harsh words. For God's seed abides in him, and he, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You're saying, preacher, that's harsh. Wow, that's so negative. That's not me that's saying that. That's God's word. That comes directly from his word. But the good news is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My friend, through faith in Jesus, though your sins were once like scarlet, he has made them white as snow. No matter where you are, God sees you, God loves you, and he gives you grace upon grace. And as you align your heart with his, your passion will not be to avoid sin, but rather to please him. There's a difference. Arm yourself with the freedom of God. Arm yourself with the freedom of God. Verse 6. <clears throat> For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Point number three. Arm yourself with the gospel. Arm yourself with the gospel. We have to be careful with this passage. It's easy to assume upon reading it that it appears as if the gospel is being preached to those that are already dead. The way that John Piper put it is like this. The reason the gospel was preached to those who have died is so that even though it looks like they, are, that they have been judged like everybody else, Because, of course, they died like everyone else. They haven't. They are alive in the Spirit. They are with the Lord. And the sufferings that they experienced here are not worthy to be compared to the glory that has been revealed to them. 
The gospel can't be preached to those that are dead because that's what God's word makes clear. Once a person dies, there's no longer a chance for salvation. There's not this purgatory mindset. It doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Upon death comes judgment. This phrase, those that are dead, means those that are now dead at the time of Peter's writing. In other words, even though that there are, there are some that have lost their life unjustly for the sake of the gospel, they are alive in the spirit and they're with God. They don't have to bear this suffering anymore because they have put their faith in Jesus. He once lived perfectly. He suffered and died for it, referring to Jesus. And he now lives in eternity at the right hand of God. Oh, and by the way, he now has angels. You remember this from the last chapter? He now has angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. And he is sitting at the right hand of God. We're going to wrap this up. But Peter wants these readers to know that they are in the middle of facing suffering. Or they could see it coming very soon. And that as this comes, those that can kill the body are not to fear. But the one that created your soul is in complete control. And he is waiting for you in heaven. You arm yourself with the gospel by resting in this truth. By understanding that all of suffering, all of the pain, all on this side of eternity is expected. But because of the gospel of Jesus, we have eternity with him where the suffering and the pain will be no more. Arming yourself with the gospel means that you set your mind on the things that are above. That you now remember the work that Jesus did on the cross for you and are reminded that it all comes together for the good of those who love him. Man, I will never forget the day that I got on my knees and said, after reading the Gospel of Matthew, Lord, I am done. I'm done trying to fill this hole in my heart that exists. I, I want to taste and see, like your word says, that you are good. God, show it to me. And it was these daily decisions of following Jesus, choosing his will above mine, that he started to free me, that he started to give me a purpose and a passion that only he can give. Will you pray with me? God, as, as there is a soul here that needs to and wants to know your purpose for them, God, they're depressed. They're tired of striving. God, show that your yoke is easy that your burden is light, that you truly are a God that frees. God, help them to step into their calling by choosing to know you more, not for the sake of 
their purpose, but for your heart. And God, allow us to live a life that has a posture of reverence, one that wants to glorify you in all the decisions we make. And Lord, for those of us here that, that know you, that trust you, that love you, we collectively say thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth to die on the cross for our sins, but not just dying, rising again three days later so that through faith in him, we could have eternal life. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.